Hey, this is Scott. A quick update. Uh, February 1st, I will be out at Samurai Comics from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, for Image Comics Day. It's uh, Image Comics 25th anniversary this year. Uh, so I will be in the store with um, Jay Photos and Meredith McLaren. Uh, so if you're in the Phoenix area that day, whatever, come by and say hi or don't. Whatever. But do. Welcome to another episode of The Illustrious Gentleman, the place where comic book artists and top blokes Scott Godleski and Ryan Cody talk about life, work, comics, and booze. Follow the show on Twitter at TIG underscore show and online at www.tigshow.com. T-I-G-S-H-O-W dot com. Don't forget to let us know what you're drinking while you're listening to the show. Go on yourself, big man. I'm so sorry. Let's try that again. Hey everyone, this is Scott. Welcome to episode 17 of The Illustrious Gentleman. Uh, first things first, we're mighty happy to be sponsored by Samurai Comics. With three Arizona locations, Mike and his staff have you covered for comics, manga, action figures, gaming, and everything geek culture. Uh, thanks, Samurai. I'd also like to give a shout-out to our partner podcast, Comic Exposure, uh, a podcast hosted by Josh and Travis, who invite comic and non-comic guests alike for their roundtable discussion on a variety of comic books. When not diving deep into a trade or a graphic novel on their Comic Book Club episodes, they talk comics, pop culture, life, and maybe interview a comic creator or two for what they call their variant episodes. You can check out new shows by searching for comic exposure on your preferred podcast app or by going to comicexposure.com where you can find new shows along with an archive of past episodes follow them on twitter at comic exposure or on facebook at uh, facebook.com backslash comic exposure hey everyone a nasally ryan here popping in to tell you guys about a new podcast partner we have if you need something to soak up all the booze you've had while listening to the illustrious gentleman check out panels and pizza every wednesday host adam vermilion is joined by creators from the Twin Cities comic scene to talk comics and eat pizza. Panels and Pizza, the only comic book podcast featuring comic book creators shooting the breeze over pepperoni and cheese. Only on the Fancy Pants Gangsters Network at FancyPantsGangsters.com. So on this week's episode, Ryan and I discuss comic book scripts from the artist's perspective. Uh, what we appreciate about a comic strip and uh, what we'd like to see writers do more or less of. Uh, thanks for listening, and here we go. All right, so first of all, Scott, I gotta, if I sound a little weird today or if there's uh, background noise or whatever, it's because I think I might be fighting off a cold and I'm also sitting in a fifth wheel camping trailer at my in-laws house, which sits directly under the Sky Harbor flight uh, path. So every once in a while there might be <laughs> some, dogs bar- some dogs barking or, a, or an airplane going over, but it's the, uh, the best spot I could, I could set up for today's show. Wow, that's dedication. Yep, I got my brother-in-law, the other Scott in my life. My brother-in-law is in town. He lives in Korea, so I only see him about once a year. So whenever he's in town, we tend to take some time off and come down and visit. But I can't take time off because I don't have that kind of job. So I'm visiting, drinking, hanging out, and working on a car and trying to keep up with my comics job workload all at the same time. So... I think I might be getting a little sick. Never stops, man. Never stops. Never, ever. Um, so, yeah, uh, Albuquerque Comic Con I did last weekend. That was fun. The Albuquerque's fun, I should say. The con, was, con wasn't bad. Um, it wasn't as bad as a couple of my more recent cons. It was a little weird because it was on three floors. There was a uh, like a vendor floor down on the bottom floor that had like the rv from breaking bad and some of the really big exhibits the second floor was kind of like uh vendor booths and then the third floor was artist alley and uh media guests so it was a little odd um that way the way it was spread out but it was fun i got to sit next to andy coon and talk comics all weekend and i made a little bit of money and i got to spend time with family and friends so it wasn't too bad i take it you did not do a show next or last weekend 
I did not do a show last week. Uh, I, right. I, I can say that of 51 weeks of the year. That's right. Okay. So, uh, all right. So I just cracked my beer, uh, but I've been rambling a little bit. So why don't we, or what do you got in front of you? I've got a uh, uh, original Honey Brown. Um, nice. I, I don't know who makes this. There's no information on the bottle here. Should uh, be J.W. Dundee. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there. I mean, yeah, no, you're right. Dundee Brewing Company. Yep. Rochester, New York. It also says it is a flavored beer on the uh, the UPC label here. I I don't know. This um, I only got this because this is the beer I remember being in the house when I was a kid. This is what my dad drank. This is always in the fridge. It was probably my first drink. Well, yeah. Uh, so I discovered Honey Brown in like 1995 when I was working at Zia Records. And instead of buying the typical Miller High Life that we'd buy every night, me and a coworker, one of the managers there, we bought some Honey Brown and we sat outside on a porch and drank a six-pack. And I love that beer. It was my favorite beer for a long time. So... I hope you like it because I I really like it. Yeah, I, still, I mean I've you know, had it. I just I it's been years and years and years. I, right. I it smells like a uh, an American lager. It's I mean it smells like Bud Light almost. Yeah, I mean it has flavor to it, but it's not overly like flavorful. I like it. I still like it. Um, I'm drinking a, and I can't remember if I drank one of these on the show or not, but I went through the website and it wasn't one of the featured beers, beers on the images that I post. So if I did drink it during the show, it was like a second beer that I drank. Um, but I'm drinking a Mission Brewery Shipwrecked I, or Double IPA. It's, uh, I think I've had it before. I'm not sure. Uh, Mission is a brewery from San Diego and, uh. We'll see how it goes. It was on sale at uh, at the deli that I go to, so I got a bomber of it for two fifty, and it's nine point two five percent, so it should oh, should boy. set me right for the for the day ahead. Okay, so um, we're gonna talk today. Today's topic was suggested by one of our six listeners, uh, Kevin Cuff on Facebook. Oh, we're up to six. Yeah, well, I imagine so. Every time someone new comments, that'll be a, we'll just consider that person a new <laughs> listener. So yeah, we're at six, and uh, he suggested uh, essentially how do we how, what do we like to see in scripts and don't like to see in scripts from writers, and it's kind of an interesting topic just because, at least on my end, I work with a lot of first time writers, but I've also worked with with veteran comic book writers who you know have worked in the industry for you know twenty thirty years. So, you know, no two scripts are alike. You know, I've never gotten any two that are very similar. They're all uh, laid out differently, and everyone has their own favorite way of writing. So uh, I thought we could tackle this for a few minutes. Yeah, sure. Um, Sounds good. All right. So I guess... uh, Okay, so I guess the question is, what do we like to see in a script? Yeah, we'll we'll start with that. We'll start on the positive. Okay, yeah. Um. So, I mean, what I like to see on a script is just like I like just as in as in dealing with any person in in real life or in anything or in a movie or anything. I just want what I need to to get to where I need to be. So in a comic book script, I need to know what action they want. And I need to know any pertinent details to that panel. But I don't need to know. You know, I don't need like an Alan Moore type script. I don't need uh, two paragraphs describing one panel if it's unnecessary. And if everything in two pa- uh, two paragraphs is necessary to draw one panel, then that's another problem. But So I like scripts that keep it straightforward and simple. Um, you know, I'm not reading a novel. The, the script is not there to entertain me. It's there to tell me what I need to do to do my job. So straightforward is what I prefer in a script. That's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I wrote down is my favorite kind of strips are or scripts strips are the the kind that are fun to read um, and uh, that are written with the artist in mind or written to be read not not just translated into art like when you sit down and read them 
you're you're entertained and it's it, it's a pleasant experience to to read this thing because it's not just you know it's not just bone dry action direction that sort of stuff dialogue it's it, it's written to be read not not just as a, a piece that no one's ever going to see does that make sense yeah that makes sense i guess that is like you know two opposite sides there um I don't know. I guess. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean. I guess. I just want as much information as necessary for me to do my job because I often feel if there's too much in there, then I get overwhelmed and I'm not. I'm still not good at just sort of picking out, picking out the best parts to make the best panel. I tend to slavishly stick to the script, and so I can. I can get overwhelmed personally if there's too much info there, whereas I think other people, you know, maybe you can get sort of a vibe of what they're calling for and you can make it your own. I feel like if there's too much there, I'm going to get over-directed. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's a that's a problem that I that I have. You know, that, that I don't take enough ownership of the of the work that I'm doing. I suppose. Yeah, one of the well, not one of like the best script reading experience I had was when I was on uh, the Dracula book at Boom. Daryl Gregory was writing scripts off of. Uh, um, Kurt Busiek's like plot, and Daryl is a novelist, um, so he would include a lot of uh, a lot of color in his in his scene descriptions, and, and and not it wouldn't bog down the scene descriptions or confuse things, or it wouldn't give me too much information or too much direction. It wouldn't step on my toes, but um, he would include jokes like just for for us for the people reading the script, and and it, I don't know. I it, I can't really translate it on audio, but I mean, it, it was a lot of fun to read, and those are the kind of scripts I like. I like to sit down and and be entertained, not just by the content, but by the uh, um, the personality of of the script, the, the script writer. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so I was trying to think. Also, you know. I, I and I also like to be very clear, you know, one thing I notice in some scripts is that I have to, you know, they introduce a new scene and I you know, I enjoy reading like screenplays. I've read a lot of movie screenplays in my life. And so when a new scene is introduced in a comic, you know, I, I would like to know is it daytime, is it nighttime, you know, that sort of idea just because you know, if it's nighttime I can throw a bunch of shadows in there and I can really have fun on those pages. Whereas if it's supposed to be in the middle of the day in a park outside and it's sunny you know, it doesn't make sense to have heavy shadows on those pages. So I like stuff to be clear in that aspect to where I don't have to email the writer and ask, like, what time of day is this or what time of night is this? Oh, sure. That, and, yeah, I mean, that that's appreciated. Um, yeah, I, there's always going to be questions. You're always going to have to clarify something. I mean, uh, right. your brain is not his brain or her brain or whatever. You guys... Are coming from different places. I mean, it, it's a it's a different process too. Taking those words and turning them into pictures. Not everybody has that skill set, and a lot of writers are not artists. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So I mean, I guess I don't really have that much as far as the what I like in a script. It really comes down to just that one thing. I want it to be, you know, I have, I have much more, many more thoughts on what I don't like in a script than what I do and so what I do is really just clarity uh, and a defined kind of vision so that I can do my job and, and make the uh, the writer happy and if there's an editor make the editor happy so I mean that's I think that would be everyone's goal right is just to so you don't have to keep going back and making changes because anything was confusing you want to do everything right on the first pass it makes it easier for us makes it easier for the colorist makes it easier for everyone else down the line especially on a book with a deadline. Oh, yeah. So. At the very least, it should have everything you need, right? Um, it, it doesn't have to have all of these things that I'm talking about, as long as it's got clear direction, you know who's speaking, you know where everybody is. Uh, they don't bog down pages or panels with tons of action and dialogue. Um, I mean, those are, you know, at the very least, those are the things you ask for. Um but, right to go to go back to your uh, idea of kind of a colorful script that's fun to read is maybe that does come with more veteran writers because the, I did do a short 
like eight page uh, charity thing, and it was written by Jason Aaron, and he had it was that was really fun to read his script. Uh, you know, he had little colorful, you know, descriptions in there and stuff like that that made the the script fun to read. So I'll, I'll agree with you back, you know, that it, it should be fun to read. But I will also stick to the fact that a 20 page comic should not be a 40 page script. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. Hey, I don't know that the length, the physical length of the, the script has anything to do with anything. I mean, as long as the stuff that they're filling it with isn't isn't. Uh, you know, clearly work that you should be doing as right. an artist. Okay. They're, they're not telling yeah. you how to do your job in those 40 pages. Right. That's, and that, that'll go into the, what we don't like. Uh, but another thing, so let's say that, so these are what we like when we work on full scripts. Uh, what do you like? What do you like about working Marvel style when you work on Copperhead? I was just about to bring that up. As long as we're talking about what we like in scripts, my favorite right. kind of yeah, is, is a plot-only script. There's just so much fun to work from. I, you, you feel less like, you know, uh, the cliche of the cog in the machine. You're, you're not just, you're not just a, a piece or another rung in the ladder. Your contribution has value. And what the reader, the final product that they're seeing on the page is just as much you as it is the writer or the editor or the publisher or whoever it was that that was driving this particular story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that I've only worked that way uh, unless I write for myself. I only work. I've only worked that way once, and that was on this California Books one shot that I or California Bones, sorry, one shot that I did, and it was so much fun. Just sort of, you know, the plot, the script comes in as like page one, just make sure this happens. Page two, make sure this happens. So there were no panel breakdowns. It was just page breakdowns and beats. And that was a lot of fun because I can, you know, this page might need nine panels because I might want to do some, you know, really cool inset, you know, Mignola type panels. Or this page might only need three panels because I really want this one image to blow up or something. So that's a lot of fun because I don't think, I don't think a lot of writers, especially newer writers, they don't think visually as much as they think like they're writing a book. So they, they picture they picture sort of like moving action, I think, in their head, not static images when they're writing comics. Yeah, I think that's very so, true. And so the artist is used to breaking down a prose script or breaking down multiple actions into static images. So that's a lot of fun to work that way. And that's when I work, when I write for myself, that's how I write. I write, you know, pages three through five, they're going to fight through the city. Page six, this has to happen. Page seven, this has to happen. And that just keeps it fun when I'm doing my layouts and my, and my page work, you know, it keeps it exciting. It doesn't, it feels less like work if you're, if you have more involved and you have more creativity that you can apply to it, it becomes less of a job and more of what I thought comics was going to be when I was a kid. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense in a visual medium to put the pacing into the hands of the artist. Um, it's something I really like and miss about Copperhead was being able to control that aspect of the storytelling. To show you what I think is important and then to uh to, yeah to tell the story visually because i mean when when i i'm not a writer i i'm not going to pretend to speak for writers but putting words words onto a page uh for an artist to translate is i suspect it's, it's a vastly different thought process than than what we do when we take those words off and try to make a coherent story out of it it it, it it's 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 tough to explain i mean it, it so much of it is instinctual i i'm sure it is on the part of a writer too but i feel when a, if you're writing something you're writing it you're writing it. It, it it for it to be translated into something else is almost sort of a, a an un, unnatural thing yeah writing for visuals i I don't know. It, it it just seems like such a weird thing to think about now that I sit down and talk about it. it well, it it is like in uh, you know when you read screenplays, you know they'll often say like uh, you know a gritty part of the city or evening or whatever, but they don't very rarely. At least the ones I've read, the good ones, they don't they don't try to dictate the action in the screenplay. You know, uh, you know, step by step. You know, they don't tell. It's not like comics. Comics are unique where they tell you, oh, let's do a bird's eye view here. Well, some, some writers will. Some like, writers will. Let's do a bird's will. eye view panel or a worm's eye view panel or 
all this stuff. And in movies, the writer is there to tell the story, you know, through dialogue and through set or, you know, where the action takes place. And then you have other people who come in and their expertise is to move the action along and get the performance and stuff like that. Whereas in comics, the script writer, some of them think that it's their job to do everything and it's our job to essentially just be a uh, director of photography. We're just supposed to film the action that's given us, whereas it, that's I think it's very unique to comic writing. I don't know how many other uh, sort of mediums do that to where it's just it's just bizarre and I don't think it used to be that way. I don't think scripts used to be as detailed and sh and controlling as a lot of them are now. I think back in the 60s and 70s, you know, Marvel style was in its heyday. You know, I think you saw a lot more contribution from the artist than you do now to the finished product. Sure. Yeah, and it, it leads me to wonder is there a coincidence between, you know, the uh the explosion in and popularity of those books and the way they were produced? Yeah, I would I would imagine exactly. You know, I would imagine as comics started getting adapted, you know, I I benefited from the the buying heyday of you know buying up properties or whatever. You know, I had a property bought, but I think that tends to lead writers to they want to create a comic that first of all they want to create a comic that they think can be adapted into film so it can be optioned and then they tend to write that way also as if they're writing a TV show or a movie rather than writing just for a comic. I think that's fairly prevalent now, just in the comics that I read. I mean, I don't. it's not like I read scripts. I don't read, like, Spider-Man scripts and shit, but in the comics that are on the shelves that I read, a lot of them seem toned down and geared towards they could easily be turned into a TV show. Yeah, that that's probably a fair point. It sounds cynical, but I, I don't think that's too far off from the truth in a lot of cases today anyway yeah exactly okay so uh the first 16 minutes or so was positive i think we oh, might have oh also i like lots I think... of reference you what like lots of reference if you're uh, including links to stuff if, oh, okay. if you yes, want yes. a house drawn a certain way or if you want a certain car you know send me that link right look at you trying I'm to keep it positive for a little bit longer with i didn't realize you had other uh things written down or whatever but yeah reference is good especially i'm working right now i'm working on a book that's a historical setting and so reference is key and the writer was great. He, uh, before I started, he ordered me a book off of Amazon that had like, uh, paintings and stuff from the time. And he, you know, he mailed it to my house. So I have that to flip through when I need reference, kind of like a style guide. You know, he includes wow. links in his, you know, he includes links in the script. Uh, all that's very important because like it, it is our job to translate, but a lot of times the writers do have something specific in mind that is, 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 um, uh, important to the story and so you want to get it right so yeah there's nothing wrong when i was talking like i don't want unnecessary writing in a script that's that's not what i meant i meant like you know i don't need to know that the grass smell or the air smells like grass on a you know <laughs> on a sunny day some like that doesn't help me uh personally but yeah reference is nice like if you know they want a specific shot of something send me a link to that or a specific style of background send me a link to that yeah that's very important all right you got anything else in your positive category um I have stuff that I suspect you're going to invert and say, I don't like when this isn't this way. So why don't we go ahead and just go into the, the not like. For me, the, the what I don't like, I mean, it's not, that all kind of falls under the category of like either unnecessary stuff or I don't like when writers one thing i don't like i don't like when writers kind of go nuts because they're writing and they've never they don't know how to draw so they're they'll you know they're like oh let's do a aerial view of the mall on washington thousands of people cheering and holding signs and then there's six more panels on that page one of my biggest pet peeves is the inability to visualize a page on what can what can actually be accomplished in a comic book page and still look fine i can draw a seven panel page and have one panel have a thousand people in it it's not going to be it's not going to be readable it's not going to be exciting it's not going to be you know it's going to be nothing but a space filler that you know it's not going to make sense so i don't like i don't like when too much is on a page and it's obvious that the writers did not try to visualize they're not visualizing these pages as they write them they're writing a story and it, it doesn't it's not going to translate well It'll translate. That's my job, but it, it won't look it won't look as good as it could be. Any of that makes sense? Yeah. Um, you what? I think an exercise that would be helpful to writers writers who aren't artists anyway is 
once they've written a page or they've gotten through a draft or something or whatever, is to sit down and try to draw it out themselves and see if they can make it work the way it's written. And if they can't, that that doesn't mean it's broken. I mean, it might just be a limitation of their abilities, but it's not an unreasonable thing to ask. I think Grant Morrison does this. He draws out all of his scripts. Nobody ever sees them. He doesn't show them to anybody. But but yeah, he draws them out just to just to make sure it works. I think it would be useful exercise for for writers to try something like that. Hey, don't send them to me. I don't want to see them. No, I mean that's I, I agree with what you're saying 100%. Even if you can just uh, do like uh, stick figures and block shapes, you got a you got a you got a panel that's one of eight panels or one of seven panels, and there's three paragraphs of dialogue, and you want three characters in there in a background. You try to try to just figure that out just anyone can draw that with and try to fit word balloons in there you know that's the kind of thing that i think writers need to understand and uh, yeah i think that would be a good uh a good a good uh uh test for these guys or or a good lesson to learn is try to try to lay out a couple pages that you've written and see how difficult it can be and you don't have to be an artist to do that yeah i mean conversely i i don't know if you draw in word balloons when you lay out your pages to make sure there's room for everything. I know that's something I don't do that I should be doing to be more conscientious of, of the other folks down the line from me to make sure their job works too. If I'm going to, if I'm going to ask that of the person, you know, on the chain ahead of me, it's something I should probably uh, practice what I preach. Yeah. I don't do it all the time. I am I mean, I am, like, you know, if there's a ton of dialogue, I do make sure that I draw the figure small enough, and I do I do try to, to always be on top of drawing the characters in the correct speaking order so that the balloons don't have to go crazy or anything like that. Uh, but I don't, in my layout stage, I don't actually do it, but as I'm drawing it, I am conscious of how much dialogue is on in that page and, and who's speaking when and stuff like that. And I think that can go both ways, too. I've gotten plenty of scripts where for whatever reason the script will tell me they want character a on the left character b in the middle and character b on the right but character or abc i'm out of it so character but the guy all the way on the right speaks first so it doesn't make sense i don't they don't understand what they're asking they don't understand what they're doing for the rest of the process by having the the character all the way on the third speak right and then the character on the left speak second you know that kind of thing just makes sense if, if pages if a, if the writer just once or twice kind of tried to lay it out and put in the you know lay out balloon placement and stuff like that it would easily make sense and that goes with that goes with the 180 rule you're taught don't ever break the 180 rule but i think the 180 rule can easily be broken if if the characters have to speak in a certain order i think it's fine to to break that rule like i know what the 180 rule is but why don't you tell everybody else so they know well i know what it is in practice i don't know if i could explain it but it's essentially if you have character a and character b and character a is on the left character b is on the right in the first panel and they're talking the next panel you don't want character b on the left and character a on the right because it can confuse the reader in a comic uh, that well at least that's that's the that's the gist of it is you always want to if a character is introduced on one side of the pa- one side of the panel talking across from someone else you want to keep that same layout throughout the page and so if you flip it around it's the 180 rule you break it that at least that's how i understand it but the one advantage of so many people being so well versed in television and film now is people understand a camera can move you know there's ways around the 180 rule that i don't even know how well it applies anymore you you might you might have very strict you might be a 180 rule lifer truther uh no no i i i move around I um yeah I I like to keep the camera angle moving as much as possible. So I I you keep them in their positions, but yeah you you are free to the lens is free to move around and find whatever. Correct. Is correct. Be. As long as the as long as they stay in relative position to each other, that makes sense. The camera is what moves, not the people. And that's whenever I gotta kind of break the 180 rule like really harshly between two scenes the thing that one thing uh one tool i use is i i look at the wally woods 22 panels that always work and that's yeah. a great way you can jump between those types of panels and keep people in the same relative position so any any young artist who listen to this study the 180 rule learn that you can break it and print out a copy of wally woods or print out an image of wally woods 22 panels that always work yeah i think that's sound advice for for every bit of it is you got to you got to learn the rules before you can break them. Right, right. Yeah, in anything. Okay, uh, one other thing I don't like 
that I don't know how often it happens with anyone who's written more than one or two comics, but there was years ago a friend of ours told me a story about another friend of ours who was doing a short story with an established writer, someone who had written for Marvel and DC, and the, the writer in the script had like panel one, so-and-so's on a plane looking out a window, you know, drinking a drinking a cocktail, you know, as he, you know, as the, the stewardess walks by and asks him a question. And that was like one of like six or seven panels. And so, I mean, that's not, that's not one panel of action. You know, you can't, I, I mean, I guess I couldn't, I don't know how you would draw that to where you could easily show they're on a plane. So you'd have to show the exterior of the plane. You want to, you want to set the scene. And then be able to see that someone's drinking, someone's talking to someone else. It's like um, there's so much wrong with that panel description in my in my mind. I mean, who knows? Other guys could do it. I'm sure other artists listen to this podcast and they just assume that I don't know what I'm doing, which is fair. But I don't see how that would work. I mean, that's no. multiple actions in the same panel while introducing the character and the setting, you know, and the environment. That's just it's it's way too much. It's ridiculous. So one of my one of my biggest pet peeves is multiple multiple actions in one panel. It's impossible to draw them both. So you yeah, got to pick and choose which one or do you go in between them or what? Yeah, no nobody should fault you for breaking that stuff apart. That's one of those cases where you have the authority. Right. Yeah, you turn that one panel into two or three panels. Right. But I don't know if you ever come across that cuz you you're nowadays, I mean you're working you're working with almost always established writers, but the it, it is fairly common with new writers that they the two actions in one panel like so-and-so jumps up onto the deck and punches someone yeah i don't come across that too much i mean they're nothing unreasonable there are instances where i think this panel as it's written would work better with one less person talking but no yeah so i i guess i'm pretty lucky in that regard and then that's just that also kind of goes with two more things that I've thought of as far as, and most of this is, is related to people who are new to the industry and, and obviously they're writing one of their first, you know, scripts. They don't have hundreds of hours of script writing behind them, but it's also another thing I noticed is when they change, a lot of writers, when they change scenes, they want to do it on a page turn, which is a good thing. You know, it doesn't always make sense to, to jump to a new setting in the middle of a page, but if it's not planned out correctly, you could have the last page of a scene where you don't need to do much. So it might only be like three panels of two people talking. And then the next page starts the new scene and it's seven panels of starting the next scene of the story. And so I think more thought needs to be put into kind of planning these out. Like if they're going to talk, if this scene is going to take five pages of these people talking, let's plan it out so that we don't end on a two or three or four panel page and then immediately jump into a seven panel page where we're introducing a new environment, new characters, you know, new buildings, that kind of stuff. Those kind of cut scenes where you're going into a new situation, those need to be your three and four panel pages so you can draw the castle that they're in, then you can draw the hallway that they're in, and then you can talk, draw them talking rather than trying to fit all that, in, you know, introducing this grandiose castle somewhere in the mountains, but there's seven panels on that page. It's not going to be that grandiose when that panel is only two and a half inches tall. So pacing, I think, is a big problem for a lot of new writers and something that should probably be more thought should be given to, I suppose. Yeah, it, if it's not instinctual, it's one of those things that you're just going to have to just learn through uh, through doing. I mean, in the cases where there's an editor involved, you know, that'll certainly help a lot. But uh, yeah, 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 pacing is a big deal. Um, and pacing doesn't necessarily mean panel count. I'm trying to think of, of different ways to, to control that. Um, right, well, there's a lot of, I mean... There is ways to do it. So, uh, I mean, Kirkman does it kind of almost to a fault sometimes, and Bendis kind of does it almost to a fault sometimes, to where they'll have a static panel, three or four panels in a row, to denote silence or time passing. But if you have if you have a page and you know it's the end of that scene and it's only going to be three panels, and the last panel is one person saying one word, you could duplicate that panel or have a have a spacer panel in there where there's no dialogue to show that a little bit of time has passed and someone's thinking about it. So then the impact of that one word or that answer is more because when you only have three panels, you don't really get, there's a it's hard to denote someone stopping and thinking and taking a beat for a second and then answering. But if you have a silent panel in there, um, so that kind of works a lot in invincible and in, uh, 
a lot of Bendis' comics, they do that. And I, you know, I think a lot of people might not like that, or, you know, a lot of artists might think, oh, it's cheap to just duplicate a panel, but I think it serves a very good purpose because it's it's that chapter from uh, Scott McCloud's book. It's kind of like, that's that's one way you can denote time. Sure. Is by, you know, by delaying the answer coming up or by delaying reading the next line. Yeah, I mean, everything has value. Whichever way you want to do it, present a story, as long as it's executed properly and correctly, you can do whatever you want. Um, It's just knowing what to do when. Right, yeah. Yeah, and then I guess one of my last comments, all all these kind of deal with with new writers coming in because that's, you know, obviously veteran writers, they tend to write scripts that they know how to write for artists, and that's, that's what it is. It's... It's putting the time in to learning how to write for an artist because it is a visual medium. So you have to learn to write for the artist if you want to write good scripts. And the other one is it's it, it's kind of like pacing also, but it's they're so young writers are so they're so gung ho about telling their story that along with the pacing issues and part of the pacing issues is that they will they will only do two or three pages worth of action to get to back to to explaining their story in a very straightforward way of people talking in a room and getting all the dialogue out they can for six seven eight pages and then it jumps to you know all the action and all the story and all the planning they've been talking about for eight pages then visually takes place over the course of like two pages and so it it to me i mean to me that's not that's not the point of comics i guess the point of comics isn't to read two people talking the point of comics is to see things see a story move see see action see adventure so that's one of my you know that's happened a lot and that's happened on I've, I've had to draw books for for bigger publishers that are like that where it's just pages and pages of planning and talking and then you know one or two pages of one punch being thrown or something like that and that I mean as far as just in scripts that I read and scripts that I work on that's a super super buzzkill is too much I don't know too much explaining not enough showing which is bizarre for a, a visual visual comic book to just explain so much and not show enough well i i guess it depends on the kind of story you're doing too i mean they're not every movie is an action movie Uh, that's a visual medium i i don't know but but in film you're not you're not asking one person to to act out and direct and you know (laughs) do set decoration and costumes and all that stuff um right i don't know it's a personal preference too i mean there are a lot of writer artists who don't do superhero books, uh, who you know, who just do indie drama, whatever. Yeah, it, right, but... It, it, but I guess it sort of goes into something else I wanted to talk about. When you say, "What do we like to see in a script?" I broke that down into two parts. What do we like to see, like the script as? What kind of script do we like to see? And also, what do we like to draw? Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. Yeah, that's that makes sense. But unfortunately, in this business, you know we have to take jobs that aren't always what we like to draw. You know, I, I often take jobs because they're what's offered to me and I need to fill my schedule and stuff like that. And so you can't always cater what you want to draw to to the job. So, I mean, right. it, would be, it would be great if every script included things we wanted to draw, but I don't think that's very realistic. Well, if you don't have any other script dislikes, why don't uh, you tell me what you do like to draw? Like what, what actual things do you like to draw? Okay, so going back to, well, an example of going back to, you know, two people sitting in a room planning something out. You know, I would like to, and they do this in movies, like if, if character A is talking about what the plan's going to be, then you can draw you can draw the character doing the plan and just have caption boxes explaining it rather than two characters talking about it. So, you know, first we're going to, you know, first we're going to steal the car and then we're going to break into the, the vault and all this stuff. You know, that doesn't have to be just spoken between two characters. You can visually show that and have the caption boxes tell his story while it's happening. And that's a way to to put action into what is essentially exposition to get the story moving along. But yeah, I like to draw... I mean, I like to draw movement. I do not like to draw two people sitting and talking in in, a, in one environment for page and page on, on end. Um, you know, there's a reason, like, the West Wing... When that show came on, they did. They started the whole like walking and talking, like let's walk and talk, and then ER did it, and all these shows now do it, and it's because it's visually seeing different environments and seeing people interact but move at the same time is way more interesting than two people sitting across from each other at a table in a diner talking. 
and I've had to draw. I had a script once that was 20 of 24 pages was two people talking in a diner. I mean, that it could not be less interesting for an artist. You know, it can be challenging figuring out how to make that work, but it is not, it doesn't get you pumped to get to work in the morning. What gets me pumped to get to work in the morning is a page that moves, a page, a story that moves, that tells the story while, while constantly getting to the next part of the story or, you know, having some sort of action on each page, whether it's whatever, you know, any, any way to, any way that you can cartoon a little bit and create movement in a static environment is that's what comics needs. And so that's what I want. I don't want two people talking in a room for three pages. Yeah, I I guess I don't mind it as long as the things I like to draw are I I like drawing emotional scenes. I like um I like stories, at least working on stories that have a lot of heart to them, something I can I can invest in emotionally. So if if, if it's if it's written well and it moves the story forward, I don't mind drawing that that's that scene that's three pages long with people sitting and talking um it can be challenging to find different ways to just draw two people sitting you know the three pages five panels page 15 different ways right but, uh yeah it, it, yeah it's it's not one of my it's not one of my peeves is uh talky talky moments right I, I guess i see i guess i see our jobs and i see comics in general as something unique we may have well, we, i think we've covered this before but it is unique in in what we do. Comics are are a unique medium in what we do. We have an unlimited budget. We can do whatever we want. There's nothing stopping a story from being told. There's no restrictions except your own, one's own imagination. So something I say all the time: the worst thing a comic can be is boring. So the worst thing a comic can be is something that can be done in other mediums. Take advantage of what we can do, and you know. If you're going to have, I mean, a play, if, you, if you're going to have everybody sit and sit, I mean, if you're going to have everyone sit around and talk for five, six pages, that sounds to me like a one man or a two person play. You know, that sounds to me like you're writing, you're writing with a budget of everything's going to take place in one room or you're working on a budget for like a short film. So everything takes place in like one house because that's where you're constrained through budget and through real life. Whereas in comics, there's no constraint. So to me, that's the biggest sin you can make as a writer is to have your stories super constrained. And I mean, I think that that's becoming more and more common in comics now is less huge action, less, you know, more, I don't know, more comics that are written like TV shows and less comics that should be written like huge blockbuster movies with no budget. And that just goes to me. I want to draw big action comics. I want to draw big sci-fi comics. I want to draw big superhero comics. I do. I want to draw crime comics, but there's things you can do in crime comics that you don't always. That is harder to do in a movie that you can do in a in a in a comic. So that's that's what I hate to see in a script is just the same old thing. I don't want to see in a comic script what I could see in a in a television script or a or a, a teleplay or a you know a, a screen screenplay. I want to see something in comics that takes advantage of the medium, and anything less than that is disappointing to me. Yeah, I mean. Being boring can happen in in any medium. It's not what you want out of anything. I guess when I think about what separates comics from other things, from you know books, movies, video games, blah 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 blah, um, it's the page itself, and and how you can present the story um, visually on that page. Uh, you don't have you know, you don't have the benefit of movement or sound. You can create the the illusions of those things, but using using layout, I think, is is the one thing that's that's unique about comics that you can't get anywhere else. So making a page visually interesting um, with panel shape and sizes and placement to lead the eye around uh, and just do things in a, a <sighs> I was going to say unconventional, but not not to be unconventional, not for the sake of just being, you know, strange or unique, but serving the story in some way, finding a way to produce a piece of art that tells a piece of a story, I think is the one thing that comics have that not, you can't get anywhere else. So when I see guys that focus on that stuff, that, that really, it's really impressive to me and it makes me feel 
Like that's something I could be doing or something I should be doing, that every comic should be that way. And there are guys that, that can do stuff with the grid that, that's, that's neat and sometimes that's appropriate. Um, but all of my favorite guys are guys that push beyond that and do just not weird stuff, but really, really interesting visual stuff with the page itself um, that keeps stuff from being boring and uh, cliche and all that garbage. Yeah, I think we're both we're both kind of we're both kind of hitting on the same thing is just take advantage of the unique medium that we work in. Let that be let that be the best part of it and and don't be limited by it, I suppose. Yeah, and, and the the biggest way I think is was was with that with layouts with the page itself cuz everything else you can get anywhere else in my mind. I can't think of anything else. Right. The the layout of the page and the composition of the page is where you can make it your own and make it unique. Right. And if you're not thinking about that when you're sitting down, then you're not doing, you know, the book or your project to yourself any favors. You're you're just lost in, in right in the noise of everything else. All right. Well, so do you have what what advice would you give? Let's let's kind of end on what kind of advice would you give to writers? that are coming in that are, you know, and this is from an artist perspective. If you're going to write comics, you're going to write comics for an artist. What advice would you give? So like my biggest advice would be to kind of just like we, 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 we would advise them to lay out, lay out a page that they write. I would also like them to grab a comic. They like one of their favorite comics and try to reverse engineer it. How did, how did Warren Ellis describe this page to uh, Brian Hitch on the authority? How, you know, how would I think that he did it? So you reverse engineered. How would I do it for for a writer or for an artist? So I think that's that's the way writers can study comics. I mean, I think there's some books out there writing comics and stuff like that. And I think a lot of writers get caught up on on the format. They want to deliver a script that looks the same as a Scott Snyder script. Whereas I don't think the format is as important as being able to write a script that an artist can jump off on and make it collaborative so i would recommend doing layouts of your page of the pages you write and also trying to reverse engineer comics that you love and 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 think really think about what did the writer say to get the artist to draw this and then maybe read some of those books i mean that would be my advice yeah i like i said before i think drawing out your own script I think would be helpful to you, also to the artist, uh, and also if uh, if the editor allows, uh, you don't even have to write Marvel style, but even if you want to write all the dialogue, that's fine. But don't. I would prefer not to have panel count and action dictated to me. I'll figure that stuff out. You give me what's coming out of people's mouths, who is there. And what they're doing and I'll take care of the rest yeah I mean I've had scripts before where it'll say like you know the character jumps up and throws a right hook you know and then you, when I'm laying out my page like maybe that's not gonna fit if that's panel four that might not fit with what I want to draw for panel three or panel six and then you think about like how I mean the writers just writing that because that's what they're picturing in their head because they're like I said they're probably picturing it as a as a moving thing like a moving fight scene. And so them, they, they just type, oh, right hook. But for me, I'm like, oh, now I got to adjust. I either have to adjust the rest of the page or, I, you know, the dude's not going to throw a right hook. And as an artist, you know, every writer, you know, if I put that page in and it's a kick and not a punch, no one's going to care. But I don't need I don't need exact specific actions, you know, when it, like you said, give me the situation, give me the environment, give me the characters and give me the dialogue. That's all you need. Yeah, I'd be happy with that. All right, well, that was good. Maybe we should do, at some point we'll do a show, might have to be a shorter episode, but we'll do a show on layout and design, and maybe we'll both lay out the same page and see how it differs and how yours is so much better than mine. <laughs> um, but, so, um, what what'd you, how'd you wind up on, on your dad's uh, Honey Brown? Uh, I'm almost done here. It's It's almost nothing. It is almost exactly like drinking a Bud Light or something. It's inoffensive. It's easy to drink. Uh, it's almost just like air in a bottle. If you're just looking for a beer, sure. Yeah, I, I, I like those kind of beers because they are, they are not much different than like a Budweiser or a Miller Lite or something, but there's still something more to them. Like Scheinerbach has a flavor that, you know, the 
three American light beers don't have. And Honey Brown has a flavor that they don't have. So that's why I like those kind of beers. Yeah, it, the honey does faintly come through. I'm surprised. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's not enough of it to save this. All right. Well, get, uh, before I get into my beer, I saw something at the deli the other night. I should have bought it. It was only $10 a bottle. I didn't buy it. But it's a honey whiskey with ghost pepper in it. It's like oh a spicy God. honey whiskey. I don't remember who made it, but if I go oh. back, I might get it. That sounds delicious. That sounds terrible. So, yeah, uh, like I said, I can't remember if I talked about this on the show before or not, but the Mission Brewery Shipwrecked IPA, Double IPA, it's good. It's an IPA. I mean, they, like I said, they all kind of taste the same. I wouldn't be able to taste test the difference between IPAs. I like IPAs. This one's 9.25%, and it was 250 for a 22-ounce bottle, so it's getting a big thumbs up for me. It's got a like a skull crossbones pirate on the front so yeah it's good i like it i recommend it anything else you want to talk about any anything else going on in the life of uh you uh no i i want to apologize i don't know if it registered i can't see it on my levels but there's two dogs snoring behind me and they have been for like the last 40 minutes uh, well, I wasn't able to hear him through my headphones. I guess I, at one point I did hear dogs, but I assumed they were my in-laws' dogs. Um, your dogs, from what I know, they got a little base to them. They're, they're actual dogs, whereas the dogs at this house are little papillons. They're slightly bigger than cats, so it's a different type of bark. Yeah, no, these these are loud dogs. All right, so yeah, if the sound quality is off a little bit this week, like I said, it's because I'm in a I'm in a trailer, literally. And uh, so, yeah. Okay. Well, you could follow us on Twitter at TIG underscore show, at Ryan Cody, and at Scotty God. You can always uh, check out all the past episodes available on TIGshow.com. And if you'd like the show and you want to support us, you can click uh, go on the Buy the Guys Around link and, and, and buy us a couple of drinks or something. So it was good talking to you, Scott. And uh, two episodes in a row, two weeks in a row. That's exciting. And uh, I'll talk to you next week, I think. All right, man. All right, man. Bye. Adios. Adios.